Welcome back to the Think Education podcast. Uh, myself and Judith uh, with you as always, although not with each other, as always. <laughs> um, it's going to be very strange the day that we actually get to do one in person. I think that's going to be... Uh, um... Yeah, we'll have forgotten. We'll walk, we'll walk past each other in the street. Yeah. We'll, well, we'll have to wear sort of carnations or something like that. <laughs> yeah, because we're both both taller than the, the whatever the four inches that the computer screen yes, allows. Yes, I'll be like, I forgot you were so tall. And you go, who's that short person over there? Yeah. So we're going to today carry on our conversation uh, about origin stories. Uh, those of you that listened to the previous episode will have uh, a much greater appreciation of <laughs> the, the, the wonder that is Judith and the, the journey that she went on. And, uh, uh, and, indeed, and indeed some really, I think, even just for me, really insightful reflections on growth, right? On, on engagement with people, on, on you know, experiencing facing challenges, dealing with, I mean, maybe hardship sounds wrong, but I mean, dealing with difficult days and difficult weeks and um, plus doing all that type of thing in a period when we didn't have the phone or the internet access. So, you know, the, the connectivity was, was very different. So, um, and today it's, uh, <laughs> it's my turn. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's, so it's, so today's Christopher's story. So are you all sitting comfortably at home? <laughs> They've all just switched off. <laughs> we will begin. <laughs> right, so uh, Chris, to start with a serious question. When you were little, when you were a little lad, mm. only about six feet tall, uh, <laughs> what did you want to be? What did you want to be when you grew up? But yeah, seriously, when you, when, you were, when you were young, let's say when you were in... Uh, primary school or something like that. What what was your ambition? What did you want to be? I wanted to play football. I think like probably most other, I guess, boys in my class because it wasn't really a, I don't know, a realistic goal in the sense for girls because the, the professional football for women wasn't, you know, wasn't a thing. So I, I, I'm, I guess it's more of a, at that point, you know, rightly or wrongly, it was maybe you know, more something that boys saw themselves in than, than all kids. But that's what I wanted to do. My, you know, my uncles played football. Um, I played football with all my friends. That's, you know, that was that was what was around me. That's what I wanted to to do. Uh, as I got a bit older and, and I guess moved up to high school, I, wa- I wanted to play basketball. So it was always sport, you know, orientated. Um, but that was. It's funny, you know, looking back on it now, there's there's no sense at all of how that happened or would happen. You know, that I don't, you know. I don't see the connection when you see, particularly now with the expulsion of, of videos and stuff and how kids are training this early on and they got all these youth camps, etc. I don't know. What was the expectation that, you know, you've grown up in this little rural village and, and then you'll just turn a certain age and you'll be a professional footballer? Not, I really don't know what I thought that could, how, how that was going to happen other than just the power of, of wishing. Did you even have a theme that you were, you know, that you were really sort of, keen on playing for so my yeah my I guess my family team in the sense that my my maternal grandfather and my mother's brothers were all Nottingham Forest uh lifetime supporters had had season tickets same seats you know their entire life Mm. you know my uncles went to see Forest both times when they won the European Cup um abroad um and that that was even though again no real attachment to them you know living in a different city in England but that was that was my team um uh so yeah i i 
Although I'm not quite sure if it was ever a case of, oh, I'm going to go play for them. I think it was just literally, uh, that's what I'm going to do. Like, I like doing that now. That's what, that's what I'm going to, going to do. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. So when, so when the, the, the dream of being the next ace footballer and just fetching up at Nottingham Forest and going, please, uh, employment didn't work. And, and clearly uh, the basketball didn't quite go in that direction either. Uh, as you got a little bit older then, what were, what were the kind of things that you were interested yeah. in becoming? Although it's actually interesting because I never actually tried to do it with football, so it never actually technically didn't work. <laughs> right, I never went for it and didn't get it. It just, it just never. Yeah. Um, so when I moved to to Madrid for high school, um, I think one of the reasons I liked basketball was I was taller than most of my classmates, and they were all a lot better than me at football. So that that kind of transition moved. But then going to an international school, uh, a lot of, in memory at least, a lot of the parents of kids I went to school with were. Uh, diplomats or, or, you know, it just felt very international, particularly having come from a small village uh, in England where, you know, everybody knew everybody and everybody worked within a, you know, a pretty condensed radius. Um, and so I like languages, I like travel and sort of diplomacy, I think, became an avenue where I thought, actually, that, that might be something I might be actually able to do. You know, that might be an achievable or realistic goal. I guess because I saw it around me as a profession. Um, you know, you'd go to friends' houses and, and it was kind of in the world of which you were moving, you know, as opposed to, say, professional sports, which was, you know, not. Um, and that was, I think that's where, that's where my interest moved. Um, and I did classics as a first degree because I was really interested. I did the classics at A-level. I did English, history and, and, and classical civilization. And I liked classics because it was a mixture of history, philosophy, language, um, and kind of everything tied in together. And halfway, you know, you get sort of through that degree and you think, well, I'm really enjoying this, but I'm not quite sure where this is going to go. And so I did a master's in international relations thinking that's the diplomat pathway. Like that's at least you're moving back into the world of politics, international relations. Um, maybe that's, uh, that's the way to, to go. I mean, and even at that point, I still had friends taking years off and doing a stage, you know, working in Brussels. I, you know, I, I wasn't in that world yet or still, but I, I was connected to people that were. And so it was still a, yeah. still a conversation, I think. Um, yeah, and, and then and that, that was, I guess, the more concrete, concrete idea. That's where, I, that's where I thought I was going to, going to go. And how, therefore, then, did it move into becoming
And then early on in the PhD, so after the first year, where obviously you're concentrating on, in theory, developing ideas and reading, into the second year, my institution encouraged people to teach, uh, predominantly to do seminars uh, for uh, lecturers. Um, and then I got the opportunity to do one or two lectures, um, uh, sort of a core intro lecture for a first year subject, you know, big theatre of sort of, I don't know, 60 to 80 students. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And it became a sort of, you know, oh, wow, this is something I almost just fell into, you know, when masters fell into PhD, PhD fell into doing a bit of teaching. And then towards the end of the PhD, there became the opportunity to apply for a very junior position within the department, um, which nominally is is research based, but I mean, essentially is teaching, right? You're a teaching fellow. That's, that's what you're there for. You're teaching cover for, for people who are much more senior than you who are engaged in, in research. And uh, and I really so just quickly yeah. going back to the um, that that I'm interested in that first time that you basically stood in that lecture theatre and you were there in front of you know sixty people giving you giving your lecture giving your talk interacting with them what was it at that point because that can be one of those really pivotal moments can't it when you're standing there and all of a sudden you're looking up and thinking goodness me there's a lot of people here yeah I'm not sure. I'm going to be like this. Um, and sometimes people will have a go at that and they totally won't want to do it again. Yeah. What was it that you felt at that time? What 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 did you enjoy about it? And you use the word enjoy. What did you enjoy about it? What made you want to therefore then think of doing it again? Yeah, this is a... I've, I've reflected a lot about this and I, I have a very clear answer. It's just, it, it's not a... It sounds a little strange when you say it out loud, but... Um, Steve Martin once said that teaching is a, another form of show business. And I think there's a, there's a real truth to that. Um, I would imagine that there's a strong element of ego. Um, you're, on, you're on a stage of sorts. You are interacting with people, you know, particularly at a PhD level where you're still very dubious about your own subject and your own level of understanding. You're still pretty, you know convinced you don't know anything and to actually be in a classroom where it would appear at least in that dynamic that people think you do know something about that subject so that would wouldn't would have been quite you know confidence boosting i think um i i very much just like the the freedom and the interaction like being being in front of people talking to people i felt very relaxed that's never that's never bothered me um so i would imagine it's somewhere between the the connection that sort of discursive element of, of, of class. I would imagine a healthy bit of ego um, being sort of uh, in that position. Um, and just, this is going to sound incredibly weird, but they, they actually clapped at the end. Probably because it was just done and they could go home. Um, but I took that as just being, oh, wow, this, this, went, this went well. Like that, you know, that was, that was fun. Um, and uh, because we were teaching fellows to be able to concentrate on teaching and, and maybe do a little bit of research on the side felt within the scope of what the job was. You know, if you could be good at the being teaching bit, th that's what the job was, right? And so I, I just enjoyed, I just enjoyed that, that dynamic and, and have done ever since. I mean, it's, it's never gone away. I like it at conferences. I like it seminars, big lectures. I just, I just like that aspect of my job. Um, yeah. So, so you, so you started off in in many ways in quite a, a local rural area yeah. in, in the UK. Then you, then you basically go international. 
you know, you're off in Madrid, you're talking, meeting with people who parents are diplomats, things like that. Then you, in one way, then go back to yeah. like an academic environment, but again, slightly more uh, in, in one area anyway. Going back in the UK, so so I suppose your 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 comfort zone's already quite you know expanded, hasn't it? Because of the time you spent, I guess, in Madrid and overseas as well. How do you then go from? enjoying that time in front of the audience and feeling that you know well if Steve Martin decides that he's going to retire I can just <laughs> seamlessly slip into to, to that old the great performer that I am uh, and um, and enjoy that how, how do you then go from that to getting yourself on a plane and ending up in Malaysia yeah because that's quite a different lifestyle choice it is it, it is um so uh, at that point in time, there was, um, you know, the equivalent of the ref exercise going on. And those of us in, in the junior positions, it was pretty difficult for us to obtain sort of full-time permanent posts for the very obvious reasons, you know, um, that we weren't disputing. It's just that's what we were, we were living with. And um, this opportunity came up within the same university to set up the graduate school on the Malaysia campus. Um, and it just seemed like something that would be quite interesting to do. Um, and I knew people in the graduate school, you know, I'd, I'd attended some graduate school courses. Um, I liked the, the training aspect of it. Um, and that was kind of as far as it went, you know, it was just, Oh, well, this, this, this might be something interesting, interesting to do. Um, it wasn't a case of, oh, if I don't take this, I'm unemployed. But it was, this is a viable option against the lack of sort of permanency in a, in a contract, which just simply wasn't, wasn't there for people at my, at my level or, you know, or capability CV-wise, right? So it, it just was something I thought, oh, that might be quite interesting to do. And um, I talked to various people and I, you know, I had the interview and... Um, it's one of those things where we've talked about this before, you know, when people ask us, well, how did you get from A to B and how did you build that career? And it's like, no, 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 there wasn't, there wasn't a design at that point to get to, you know, where I am or where I've been. It's just that happened. And then that happened. And bizarrely, the move to Malaysia was in essence, a move into international relations, like that move into the branch campus model, you're aligning. I, I was still doing some teaching because there, there were less academics available. And so I, I ended up teaching, a qualitative methods course in the business school, not because I knew anything about business methods, but, you know, I, I could teach qualitative um, research methods. And, you know, I was able to supervise a PhD student and I was able to, you know, co-supervise and do this. And this. so I was able to do little bits of academic and then sort of the other managerial stuff and the other, you know, externalization stuff. So it was very much a, oh, right, all of my stuff has actually prepared me to come here. Know, you know, my interest in cultures, my interest in languages, my interest in travel, my interest in teaching, my interest in this, 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 my understanding of sort of, you know, how things move and systems, etc. It's like, oh, this, this is kind of all coalesced. Oh, right. I'm actually, maybe this is the job I'm supposed to be doing. This, this kind of makes, makes sense. Um, and yeah, no, it was just a case of we went out for, um, we had the interview, went out for a sort of uh, recce type visit saw the campus. I already knew a few people there who'd been on the camp, the pre, 
prior, been on the UK campus prior. And so, you know, it, it sort of felt like, oh, this is, yeah, this is interesting and this is a nice challenge. And and then off we went. And it's funny thinking back on it, 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 it was a massive momentous change that just kind of just happened. Um, and I was thinking about, you know... I suppose... Sorry, yeah. At the time, had you had you thought that it was going to be for the length of time it ended up? I mean, was it something where you thought, well, I'll do this, refs, refs happen, I'll do this, I'll set this up, maybe it'll be a short amount of time and then I'll go back and I can carry on doing what I was doing. Had you had, you had that thought or did had you not even, even thought that far? You just thought, well, I'll do this, I've got a role, we're happy to go, it's quite interesting, you know, it's... It's in, you know, I've seen it, so I can I can see that um, I've got a certain focus in terms of what I need to do as well, and that also would be good CVs, etc. Um, but had you envisaged that it was going to, you were going to be there as long as you were? No, certainly not. I mean, um, it was a three-year posting. Um, but, they, you know, they were very clear there is no, there is no right to return to the home campus. It wasn't a, um, you know, secondment. It was, this is out for three years and you know that's it. So in essence, by taking the the move, I'd potentially cut ties with the with the home campus because it was outside of my academic department. Um, you know, people within the the graduate school. You know, there'd been conversations about well, you know, obviously if things go well, it, it might extend, etc. But you know, there's no there's no return. You know, it's it was they were very very clear about that. Um, and I think it was just a case of you know, I was in my what like late twenties. It was a interesting, exciting move. It was a challenge, and that was it. We just we just went. So, um, the older you get, three years is a lot less time than three years seems when you're in your twenties. Like <laughs> you know, um, now a three year post, you'd be like, oh, I don't know, you know, because you you know how long it takes you to get anything done at the beginning, and how quickly you're wrapping up at the end. And so, you know, three years is yeah. kind of like one year of actual what you can do um, in the job. So, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure that. Back then, three years was oh wow, that's a huge amount of time, um, yeah. And that went that went by very very quickly. Did they before we maybe just touch on then what it was like for that that initial stage, certainly or maybe that intervening period after the the, the delights of first getting there? But before you even got on that plane, were there did they give you any assistance or support or you know were you given any help? Uh, before you before you went in terms of therefore what you might be expecting so um when we went out for the initial visit so um the interview was late summer um the visit was sort of early autumn and we moved at the end of december to start january 1st january 2nd i guess but you know to start in january um and there'd been some there'd been support in terms of um uh, connecting us with a an agent who could help us find accommodation, uh, and it was very clear that all of the paperwork was handled within the the branch campus. So visas, you know, ID card, all that type of stuff was all done by the university um, itself. And so you you had that kind of that safety net of going out, being like, right, okay, we even know the person that's gonna gonna help with that. And you know, we'd got our jabs and stuff arranged by the home campus before we went. So in in those sort of practical terms, yes. Um, however, in terms of what was going to happen with the job, it was going, the job was to go and set up a graduate school. So nothing existed, um, 
so I met with people in the graduate school and, you know, talked to them and they gave me, you know, the slides and the different material. And, you know, I had an understanding of how the graduate school worked in the home campus context. But they had no idea what it would look like out there because they'd never been. Right? They, they didn't know academics out there. They didn't know what the facilities were like. You know, they, they're like, well, this, what, this is how it should work here. And you're like, great. And then they said, well, you know, this is our email address. Good luck. Um, because they, they couldn't do more than that, right? They, they didn't have... Um, they did, so, I, I had a, so I had a sort of a support network in terms of people I had met, people I knew, people I could contact. You know, um, you know this is the days before shared drives, you know, so they, they gave me a, a hard drive with just all the slides on and said, well, there you go, this is, you know, <laughs> make yourself familiar with this stuff. Um, and so it was kind of this sense of, we all knew what was supposed to happen, but none of us really knew what was going to happen. Um, and uh, that was fun. <laughs> uh, that was, yeah, that was fun. Um, but, you know, that was... So that... what was the first stage of, what did you have to first have to do? You know, maybe separating at the moment then what it was simply like to live there and be there as a person and an individual beyond your working hours even... But in terms of actually the, the, the specific task you had in hand, what were the first few things that you had to do in order to even just socialise the idea, I suppose, as well, of, of the graduate school and what it was and therefore how you might plan setting it up? Yeah, so um, partly it was um, a physical thing in the sense that we didn't have a graduate school we didn't have any space um i was given a big office you know what would be the equivalent of a professorial office with the joke being maybe you'll have to run your training courses in here like that that was kind of the the sort of the start and then we managed to we were well, managed to we were given the classroom immediately next to my office and, and that became the training room so quite quite quickly we had a physical space which was you know a big deal because then it looked like oh this is real like this is an actual thing you know that the university is taking seriously but uh, the the rest of it was and the main part was the sort of more ideological where you had to quite literally go around door to door and talk to people and explain to people and you know show people you know you know, no, it's free, you know, it's free, it's added value, it's benefit, you know, you know, this is where it works, et cetera, et cetera. And you, you come up with a, against a lot of resistance, which is true, I think, in any, you know, it's not just a branch campus thing. A lot of, it's easier to, to sort of sell the idea in the, the humanities and social sciences sometimes than it is in the engineering and hard sciences. Um, and so that was about essentially just trying to learn what was going on in the campus and as best as I could, how things worked and, you know, who did what and and then try to find a way to fit in with what they did so that it looked like it was integrating rather than coming on, on top. Um, um, I'm interested in that you just said, though, that it was easier or you felt it was easier to explain it within the humanities and social sciences rather than the hard, hard sciences. Why? Well, um, because what's the point of a graduate school? That would be the first question. What does it do? Well, it, it teaches sort of critical thinking and soft skills and all that. Yeah, well, they don't need that. Oh, right. Your your engineering students don't need to write essays and they don't need to present and they don't need to talk to people. No, no, they don't need that. Oh, right. And there's kind of not really much of a follow-up question to that without being very yeah. adversarial. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of these things were, were more readily taught already within humanities and social sciences. Um, uh, so that that was kind of a just a, a learning curve about 
you know, distribution of power and, and power dynamics and relationships within and, and, um, and also the fact that academics don't tend to take administrators seriously. Right. So if you're if you're an academic talking to another academic, you probably don't agree with them, but at least you've got a shared sort of, you know, if you're an academic talking to a, a head of a professional development department, well, that's yeah, no, we don't, you know, so there was a lot of a lot of that, um, which I found kind of strange because I was like, well, I've, I've just come from an academic school. I'm very new into the professional you know, services field. But my PhD is from the same university that we're in. Like we're, I'm, you know, I'm one of us. Like I'm, mm. I'm not an outsider. I'm, you know, that was kind of an unusual sort of set of conversations, um, which was, you know, interesting to navigate. Um, over time, right? You, you just, you like in class, you build up trust. You do things, you know, you do things that help other people where you can, and you, you know, you try to integrate and you try to support, um, and you keep the focus on the students. Um, and, you know, and that I think really, really helped us, um, find our fit, find our feet, find our footing and, and sort of become a useful part of the, part of the university dynamic. I suppose it takes a while to build up that trust as well, though, doesn't it? As you're going through this process, but I'm, I'm also interested, as you say, you know, you move in, moved into at that stage as a sphere more around the sort of professional administrative side obviously you were quite young in your career as well so I'm, I'm not sure what the, the sort of dynamics are, are like at that time in particular in a sort of Malaysian well I'd say a Malaysian institution it's a branch campus but it's still a, it's still mm. a branch campus in a different country isn't it so were there aspects there that were either a challenge or indeed though a benefit and a support when it came to your age and your seniority? Um, yeah, there were, there were quite a few, quite a few challenges and I'm, I'm sure many of them were at least in part, if not mostly connected to my lack of experience, right? So um, certainly um, age was a factor because I was the majority of, of and I wasn't a senior position. I mean, you know, there were deans and vice provosts and stuff much more senior than me, but yeah. I, was a, I was a department head. Um, but, you know, the majority of, say, the, the other transplants from the home campus, you know, all had children in school, you know, were in a different life stage than, than me. They were all very friendly and very, you know, very welcoming. It was a very nice group of people. But there's, there's naturally a, a sort of a, a gap there. And within sort of a few years, a lot more younger academics had been hired but then there's a gap between them and myself in terms of seniority you know even though age might be a little bit closer so that was kind of you know when you're seen as a as a department head or a boss or you know or even somebody that's just on the well you're not an academic you're over there and so there was a, you know there was a gap or disconnect there um I'm not trying to paint the picture that you know it was terrible it was lonely no it wasn't it was just that that's kind of the reality of of going in and it's also i think it's a little bit different where you, I think if you move to a, a fully fledged campus in a, any European city, you wouldn't expect to be folded into this small family of people who look out for you. You're just a professional in a professional setting, right? You're, you make friends with people as you do in any walk of life, right? Um, or you don't. Um, but it, because it was a small campus, small startup, there was that kind of like, you know, we're all in this together it creates an, another sort of strange dynamic um, 
um, which has its own set of uh, challenges because everything becomes very, very personal because departments are sometimes, like in my case, one person. You know, th- th- there's no sort of machine that you're dealing with. You're dealing with people, you know, and, um, and that's both good and bad, you know, because the more you understand it, the easier it is to get things done. But, you know, that can obviously be frustrating, I would imagine, in both directions um, at times. Uh, so that that was that was challenging, and I mean, I think the although I said you know my my degrees and that type of stuff had had sort of potentially prepared me, I hadn't had any managerial training, you know, I, I hadn't had any any leadership training, um, so I was sort of making it up as I went along, you know, I was I was fortunate enough, we've talked about this before, to have you know great people I worked for that I could watch and I could listen to and I could learn from and I could, you know, try to emulate here and there or, or you know, try to build my own way. But that was sort of on the job training. It wasn't, um, you know, the prep of, right, well, you're about to go out and set up this thing. We're going to put you through a month's worth of, you know, HR and management. You know, that, that didn't happen then. Um, so I think that would have been, that would have been beneficial um, because <laughs> that, you know, there were, there were good days and then there were, <laughs> there were bad days um, from that perspective. Um, looking back on it now, you know, wonderful learning curve, wonderful learning experience. Um, when you can be in a job and you can fail and then you can get back up and you can learn and not do it again, that's quite freeing, right? That, that you know, try stuff, doesn't work, try something else. You know, as long as you keep the main goal and you keep moving towards it, it's, that was, I think, very, very useful at that, at that stage of my my life and, and career in particular. I mean, in many ways, that's what we do at universities or provide a platform for, for our students at universities, don't we? And that we're providing you with a safe environment in which you can test things and try things. It might be actual things that you might be building. You know, it, it might be ideas and concepts and you might succeed in some and you will definitely fail in others. And that's okay, yeah. because you're going to learn through the whole process. I suppose the challenging thing is that you never really know it at the time, <laughs> because you <laughs> yeah. are younger and you'll go through it. And there's, there's nothing like a good dose of failure to to make your confidence get get hit slightly, is there? And but I suppose is it if if you if you can always know. And I suppose it's one thing that, that we're while we're sharing these stories and, and we'll be sharing others as well as we go through this process is is that um, the more that you can, if possible, reflect on what you're doing when you're doing it yeah. as well, um, the stronger you can be for it. A um, couple of interesting points I would like to just go through briefly further. I thought it was a really interesting point that you made uh, in terms of say your expectation our expectations of what we might be expecting when we do secure a job or a role on an international campus or a branch campus as you say sometimes it's um that we're going and we're thinking well well people are going to have to take care of us because you know we've we've come all this way we're new we don't know what we're doing um you know you can't just you can't just expect to go teach do my work and then go home again goodness me, what am I going to do? You know, so there's an element of us expecting things that wouldn't even cross our minds no. if we, as we all have done, move job and just go down the road yeah. where you might spend, I've spent many a happy year in, in some 
in some uh, universities, you know, where I might have been there five or six years or, or more, um, had great working relationships with some of those individuals. Did I ever see them outside work? No, unless there was a work activity, you know. Did we go to people's homes? Did they worry about what I was watching on television that night? And if I managed to go to the shop, unlikely. You know, so there are things, aren't there, that you then got an expectation of sometimes that you wouldn't think that you would, that you definitely wouldn't have mm. if you were doing something a little bit more locally. Um, and, and, and I suppose, therefore, then sometimes the people in the, on the campus, on the branch campus, who come from that region or that area, they themselves, you know, you often sometimes got to wonder what they are thinking when, when they receive people coming from the home campus because they might they might feel there's an expectation on them yeah. to support more or indeed not they might just be getting up and going to work and then going back home again yeah 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 i mean it's um it certainly makes for an interesting um sort of cultural dynamic what, what tended to happen in my case is that the last new person was sort of the point person for the next new person so um yeah. while it was kind of relatively fresh in their mind um, they'd sort of immediately, in some cases in the last few months, just gone through this. You know, they'd share what they could about, you know, this and that. And um, But, I mean, that was, that was you know, an unofficial thing. It, you know, it wasn't like you were appointed a, 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 a buddy, you know, when you arrived. Um, but it, it, it does create, particularly when you have that model of, they're not flying faculty, but they are seconded faculty, um, which is, it's not as, that, as common now in, in branch campuses, unless it's at the very maybe senior leadership position. But, you know, when you had people who were out on a three to five year rotational period and they were going back again, I was always really interested in what that did for people because, you know, you've left your, your home department where you've been a reader or a senior lecturer or, you know, maybe you've been ahead of school and you've gone and you're kind of out of sight, out of mind. And therefore you're out of academia in a sense. And you've had all this freedom and power and opportunity and responsibility and accountability. And then you come back and then you come back to being, you know, like another academic, which in some cases might be quite nice. You can think, OK, now I'm, I can stop doing that. I can just read books, etc. And in some cases, you, you, I think you feel that loss of, of status and you feel that loss of you know, challenge because you've lived that life for a few years. But I always used to think that the people on the ground, you know, the people who were part of the university, you know, permanently, I often use the analogy, coming back to sort of diplomats, that analogy of they're civil servants and then, you know, the PM yes. comes in or the president comes in. Well, these people are going to be here after you've gone. Like, yeah, you can come in and you can want to change things. We'll wait you out, yeah. right? You know, our job is, you know, to keep this mm-hmm. moving, to keep this ticking over with our understanding and... You know, it's kind of an an interesting way to look at interaction and engagement because you've got, and I saw some excellent examples of people that came out from the UK who did a really wonderful job of building teams, integrating with teams, you know, really. And I saw, obviously, the, you know, the other end of that spectrum. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's curious. Um, yeah, and it does come back, I think, to that sort of human people thing we've been talking about in the last, last couple of conversations. Because that must also, you know, it depends on that individual as well, doesn't it? And what they are, either why they're doing it, whether it's been suggested they do it or whether it is something they want to do as part of their own career paths. And, and I suppose it's, 
it's not dissimilar, albeit there's more of a distance, but, you know, there are a lot of departments and academic departments where the head of department or the head of a school or, or whomsoever is a rotating position. Yeah. And you know that you might do that for two or three years, but then you have to go back if you indeed want to go back and if you see it as going backwards. But anyway, you may return to the position that you previously had. And so you just see it as something that you're doing that's more administrative rather than something to do with leadership and to do with management. And I suppose, therefore, that can be a difference, can't it? And that you might get some people who are seconded into a role and they really do want to make mm. that difference. They do want to affect that change. And in a sense, they're not going to go back until they've done that. And then you've got others going, well, you know, I'm going to have to go back anyway. Yeah. So, you know, how... And, and therefore, you don't cut the ties so much that you would do, potentially as well, if you've got those strong ties back because you know you're going. Yeah. Um, and therefore, potentially not as fully immerse yourself as you might otherwise do um, because you've got for want of a better term, a safety net yeah. that's yeah, yeah. there. Because if it doesn't work or if you do want to go back, then it's just a comment. So you probably sign something that says you're allowed to go back. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine, I would imagine that's, the, that's the case. And I think, you know, like in most expat life, it's possible, maybe sometimes easy, to remain in a bubble. You know, to remain in a, within a, a very clear structure of, you know, what you want to engage with, who you want to engage with, how you want to engage, how you protect your time, you know, and, and never really experience maybe where you are. Um, and, and I think that's sometimes part and parcel of it, right? You know, certain you know, people are not going to always interact fully the same way everybody else does. And that's, that's, you know, you, you gave those examples in, in your Japan story. Like it, it some people like it and stay forever. Some people like it, but want to go home. Some people hate it and go home immediately. That's just, that's the nature of, you know, the way it goes. And I think as we talked about in previous ones, that gives us a greater sense of empathy towards what students go through because it's, it's a similar pathway, right? It's, you know, some international students will join the international society of the country that they're from and they'll only really engage because it's a sense of sort of security and familiarity. And then they'll, They'll make friends with people that you know live down the street for them that they never met in their own country, and then they'll go home again. And professionals do that too. It's a people thing, right? It's it's a sense of security, sense of oh, I'm going to stick with what I know, even though I'm somewhere somewhere different. Um, yeah, and and you'd see that you'd see that with with colleagues, people would be fully fully immersed. I mean, you know, practically fluent in in language you know, eating everything, um, you know, knowing everywhere to shop, you know, to the other end of it's like, well, no, I, you know, I, you know, I'm, it's, a bit, it's a bit of shame because they don't stock this product on the supermarket, you know, shelf anymore. You know, it's just the way, and, I, and it's not a right or wrong judgment. It's just an awareness that the motivations for people to go out and engage in international higher education are pretty diverse. And because of those motivations are diverse, exactly as you were saying, the experiences are diverse and the um, reflections on what you keep doing with them. And that, that changes the pathway. Some of us just keep going, right? We just keep, we're sort of on the ball and we're rolling and we're rolling and we're rolling and we just move from one place to another. And as you say, some people use it as a very strategic, um, it's like, no, I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get the experience that I need. I'm going to come home or go there. And I'm, it's, it's a, you know, an active building block. And yeah, that's, that's the way it goes. So this isn't the end of your story. This is more the, in the time-honoured tradition of Doctor Who trilogies. This is like the end of the 
first episode when we <laughs> leave it in a bit of a cliffhanger as he's hanging out the door of the TARDIS. Um, you'd, you'd been in one guise or another, you know, with the same institution since you were 18, 18 years old. Yeah. What, what was the ending like? Brief. Brief and painful. Um, there'd been a few changes within the national landscape in Malaysia uh, to do with student recruitment um, and visa processes. And this had created a, a little bit of a, a challenge in terms of student intakes. Um, and those reduced intakes had had a natural financial impact on many branch campuses for whom, you know, 90 something percent of their income is student fees. So it's a, it's a, there's a direct financial correlation and many seconded or, um, international contract stuff, because obviously international contracts versus local contracts, there's quite a big disparity there were simply not renewed. They weren't fired. They were just, once the, the time period had run out, that's it. They're not, they're not renewed. And I think it, in memory, it was somewhere like eight seconds and that was it. That's it. That's my time done. Now I was told in January for my contract that ended in December. So I was given more than enough time to be able to do something about what happened next, right? Because obviously I'm, we're in a country that's not our own. Um, um, we did have a right to remain in terms of we would have been able to get the 10-year visa because we'd been there long enough. But, you know, um, there was obviously that uncertainty and, and it was a very painful um, episode because... I thought I was going to be with them forever. I genuinely thought I'm going to retire with this institution. Like this is kind of part of my identity. And we had this next five-year plan strategically all sort of mapped out. And it was all this really challenging stuff. And, you know, there was bits and pieces, again, I didn't understand about the new plan. And so I was looking forward to that, you know, learning curve. And then it was just just gone, like literally just gone like that. Um, with then 11 months to go. So that was kind of a weird, you know, it's gone, but don't go anywhere for another year. You're like, oh, okay. Um, that, was, that was, you know, interesting. And, um, and so that, that sort of pushed me to start chasing these jobs that I thought might, would be the next logical step of my career. So sort of, you know, VP international or that type of level of, you know, it, it seemed like, oh, well, that's kind of inevitably where I'm going. I've been doing a lot of conferences talking about this. I've been working with people talking about this. I'm interested in this. Well, logically, this is what's going to happen. And, and it didn't. Um, you know, and it, you know, I was getting in the conversation maybe, you know, round, round about that, but it wasn't going anywhere. Um, and so it, you know, it became a case of, okay, we, we're going to need a, we're going to need another probably big change you know, born out of necessity. Yeah. Um, luckily, we, my wife and I were, you know, we moved around quite a bit and the move didn't, the, the notion of having to move didn't worry us. It was more about, well, where do you think we'll end up? As opposed to, oh, we have to move. It was a case of, oh, I wonder where we're going to go. And, and then that sort of spirit of, of challenge takes over again and you start thinking, well, we've done this before. Right. You know, we've we failed at it. We've succeeded a little bit. You know, we've done it before. We can we can do it again. Um, and. Obviously, you're then doing it almost a decade older, <laughs> not necessarily a decade wiser, but certainly you've had a decade more experience. So you're you know, you're a little a little bit more um, established in, uh, in in maybe the way you approach things. Uh, and yeah. And so then then 
it became became another move and we we were looking quite literally if you look at the sort of the standard you know western map we were looking left to right i mean it it could have ended up in like literally california to new zealand i mean it was it was the the scope of of everything and at one point we thought it was going to be singapore which would have just been hiring a rental van and driving you know down and then it ended up being being dubai which obviously was a plane ride so um yeah and here we are here we are in dubai now i'm almost uh, not quite the same length of time in Dubai as Malaysia, but by the end of this year, I will have equaled it. And so, <laughs> don't know where the time is. Time is going. So literally, as they say, you know, as one door closes, yeah, another one opens, doesn't it? And I suppose though, this is a a very good example for people because we've all been there at various points in our careers in our lives when you might op- you might open and close doors yourself for whatever reason. Mm, sure. Or sometimes a door closes on you and there is no going back. So you have to go somewhere else. You have to yeah. you have to move on. And um and I suppose for you in that situation it would have been it would have been challenging, it, it would have been scary in many ways. Mm. But there was a whole world out there. There were lots of possibilities out there. Um you had to do something staying wasn't the op- wasn't an option so yeah. Th- that yeah. if plan a was to stay plan a didn't exist anymore plan b was to do something else that was that was what was going to happen with plan so you looked you looked elsewhere and you found what you found yeah um so a massive amount of learning during that yeah um, as you say eight or more years there uh, and then another part in a sense and a whole other segment of a journey some of which some of the things will will carry with you into your the new part of your journey yeah. um but some of things some of the things remain there as well some of which we will pick up no doubt yeah in a future podcast but thank you very much for that chris and for being so open in in talking about that part of the beginning part in many ways of your international education journey and we'll hear a, a lot more as we go on thank, thank you thank you very much